All right. Well, it's uh, it's a it's a pleasure to get to uh, fill in for Brian this morning and talk about music, uh, especially in light of the way that he's been discussing spiritual formation. Um, those books that he recommended in the the especially Jamie Smith, James K. A. Smith, and his book that is uh, his, a couple of books that have uh, been a, a lot of what Brian is. Uh, thinking through and helping us to think through, they have been really, really um, a, a blessing to me and, and helping me rethink worship and music and just uh, anthropologically, if you will, about um, who we are and, uh, and how God can uh, change us and how he does change us. Um, so today we get to look at music and Brian said, you know, you can think of kind of take this as you want and talk about hymns you can talk about music and talk about worship and so for me who doesn't do this kind of teaching setting a lot it was kind of a open rather open-ended uh option but i was very very happy to get to do this so i hope i hope that um this all kind of makes sense and if and if you feel like uh i am not making sense please uh Raise your hand and help us all make sense of, of what's going on. So the question I want us to think about in light of this whole series, um, disciplines and, and practices of following Jesus, is how can music help to make us more like Jesus? Because that's really the, the thing that we're trying to think through, right? That's the point of, of uh, the Christian life and of this study. So let's start with a little definition of music um, from the Oxford Dictionary. What is music? Vocal or instrumental sounds, or both, combined in such a way as to produce beauty of form, harmony, and expression of emotion. Now, when I looked at that that, uh, definition, one thing that really uh, jumped out at me in those three aspects of the purpose of music, or what music does, is how much it reflects what God does in all of creation, right? Producing beauty of form harmony around us in creation an expression of emotion and it really uh, points to what we're going to talk about is ways that we reflect the image of God and what we do in all manners of creation and and certainly in music that we are really uh, as someone has said thinking God's thoughts after him right Um, so let's uh, let's take a look at uh, a couple of points here Uh, Number two, the meaning and beauty of music is bound up in the Trinity. Now, you could say this about all of creation, right? That creation is stamped with meaning and music is a part of creation, right? And um, we can look to Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then... Look at the details in Romans 1 about all of creation, what it says about God. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. It's, when we think of the heavens declaring the glory of God, that almost seems generic, right? It's kind of a very broad uh, expression of who God is. But when you look at the Romans 1, it's... It is as if we can gain uh, even more specific knowledge about God from looking at creation, right? I mean, his eternal power, his invisible attributes, his divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. 
So we can look to music and all of creation and find meaning there, meaning that points to its creator. Um, now, next, this may seem like a little bit of a stretch. I don't want to over-speak uh, speak the, the past the bounds of Scripture, but creation begins with music. Um, when you look at Genesis 1, verse 2, so in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And you probably know that the, the Hebrew word and the Greek word for spirit are both the same words for uh, what we would talk about breath or breeze or wind, right? So when it says that the Spirit of God was hovering, and that word for hovering is kind of a word of just motion, of fluttering almost, um, and what is music? Music is, in creation, in our world, music is sound waves that make the air vibrate, right? That's how it reaches our ears. So I don't want to overstep the boundaries here, but I think there is a connection between the Spirit of God being the breath of God, right? The air, the life-giving breath from God and how we are made in his image are also filled with air and breath and that's where that's that's how we create music um and then secondly uh, another kind of point towards this in, in genesis 3 8 and they when when uh, after adam and eve have sinned and god is walking through the garden to to find them um, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So that word for the cool of the day means the breezy time of day, the time of the day where the breeze is blowing and the wind is blowing. So when they heard, what they heard was in some manner related to the, the, the breeze blowing, uh, the breath of God, right, the wind of God. And then even more specifically, when we look to Job 38, uh, four through seven, when God is answering Job and his uh, his questions about what, where were you, and and uh, what is the meaning of, of of all this suffering, God answers him, "Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone?" When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So here we get another little glimpse of music being wrapped up in creation and even in the beginnings of creation. Whether this, how poetic this is or not, um, we can still see that it is, we are meant to think in some ways that music sound is uh, a part of creation. And you can actually, I'm, I don't know much about this, perhaps somebody could, could help us later, but you've probably seen that scientists can take uh, some kind of refracted light waves from stars, which are very similar in some ways to sound waves. And so you can actually hear uh, the, the sound of stars, and it's kind of, um, it's kind of musical. Um, there's a, a good video out there. If you know who Louis Giglio is, you've probably seen it uh, passed around on YouTube. 
um, he takes this sound of of several stars and explains you know how far away they are and how old they are he takes these recordings mixes it with things like whale songs and then puts a, a praise and worship song behind it and you can you can hear this kind of harmony of creation and uh, and worship together um, working together and then we can look outside of um, outside of scripture and to uh, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien we can see from their particular uh, creation accounts how, how music was involved there at the, in the beginning of uh, Narnia when Aslan creates Narnia he is, uh, he is doing it through song um, and it's the same thing in uh, Tolkien's The Silmarillion um, the, the earth the, the world is created through music um, and I don't think that's just a coincidence that they would choose that. I think there's a, a long history of such things. Um, we can, look, you know, the the hymn lyric that we love from "This Is My Father's World." All nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. That phrase, "the music of the spheres," is um, taken from an ancient uh, philosophy that um, music was seen as a, a model or related to the, the construction of the universe. So um, uh, uh, mathematicians such as Pythagoras, we always learn the Pythagorean theorem in geometry, right? We was also, uh, many, of, many of them, uh, mathematicians and uh, philosophers studied music uh, in kind of a more mathematical way. And they, they saw that the proportions and the mathematical qualities of the celestial bodies, right, the, 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 the solar system, as a form of music and harmony. They saw the study of music as more of a um, mathematical exploration of the universe, more than an aesthetic pursuit. So, uh, so the, the, the music of the spheres was this, was this idea that we can know the the properties of the universe by by understanding better the properties of music. Um, and what I, the whole point of what, what I want to say uh, about this is that music is deeply human because I believe it is deeply <coughs> godly. Um, we reflect the image of God when we delight in music. Um, Francis Schaeffer used a phrase called the mannishness of man in a lot of uh, different artistic uh, descriptions. And I believe that's a good thing for, for music. It is, it is a gut level who we are created in the image of God. Um, now, to kind of demonstrate this a little further, and this may be a little bit outside as well, but uh, there's, a, there's a musician and a theologian named Jeremy Begbie um, he's a very, very uh, fascinating speaker. If you ever want to just go down a YouTube wormhole, type in his name, and and he, he sits at a piano. I mean, he does most of his speaking right next to a piano. So he's, you know, he's talking about something about the aspects of God, and then he'll go and just, you know, lay into some rock on and off awesome thing. Yeah, but he uh, he actually has a great explanation or illustration of the Trinity. Using music, you know, when we when we think about relationships, 
you know, when we try to uh, use analogies for the Trinity, such as a, uh, you know, a, a father who is also a son, who is also a husband, we, we get, we run into problems, right? Or if you try to use visual analogies for the Trinity, you run into problems because it always breaks down. And this probably breaks down as well. But he actually says that it's better if we can use our mind's ear to kind of illustrate and understand the Trinity better. It, would, it works better than if we use our, our eyes. And the way he does this, the kind of the basis of Western harmony is going to be the, the triad. And that's just a word for a three-note chord. So I'm going to go over here and show you how he kind of describes that. Um, we all know what a triad sounds like. C, E, G make up a simple C triad. And the way he describes this is that when, we, when I play this first note, this C, it fills up the sonic space in the room. It fills up the sonic space in your ear, right? And when I add the other, other two notes, you don't hear them separately. You don't hear them as three totally separate things. You hear them mixed together, but they're also distinct. So the way that he puts that to kind of explain the Trinity better, he says there are the, the three notes of the triad are mutually indwelling without mutual exclusion and without merger. The same way we need to describe the Trinity, right? Each filling the same space and yet recognizably distinct. Okay, so music is bound up. The meaning of music and the beauty of music is bound up in the nature of God and in the, in the nature of the Trinity. So let's take the, the next step and remind ourselves of what we're trying to do, uh, of, our, of our, um, our, our goal and our point of uh, salvation. The Christian life is a process of becoming more of who we were created to be, knowing and reflecting the glory of the triune God, right? Um, look at this, look at this uh, definition of worship. This is from a book that uh, Brian Darwin and myself are going through. Christian worship is our participation through the Spirit in the Son's communion with the Father. Now, just stop right there and think about that. That is not a that's not a definition of worship that we often think about, right? We often think about worship as what we do, or the uh, the list of things that we do or the, the ways that we're trying to improve our behavior. Um, but when you think about worship in this way, uh, and it, it reminds you of the, the intimate things that Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, right? Um, worship is our participation through the Spirit in the Son's communion with the Father in his vicarious life of worship and intercession. So when we are saved, when we are redeemed, we are brought into the life of God. Like that, that famous book um, by Henry Scogel, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. That is, that is what salvation is. It's being brought back to ourselves, being brought to, into the image of God, into the image of Christ, in order to be better of ourselves, in order to be more human. Um, and look at this uh, lyric from an Easter anthem that our choir sings. Joy to the harp. Could Jesus Christ, our brother, died in darkest hurt upon the tree to offer us the worlds of light that live inside the Trinity? When you think about that, 
it it really just expands your mind to what the, the whole point of, of salvation, of redemption, of enjoying God and, and glorifying Him forever. Um, and, and further on, uh, these just a few scriptures about uh, being made more into the image of God. Um, you know, we know from Romans eight, for those whom, whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be firstborn among many brothers. So God predestined us to uh, not be uh, better behaved people on our own, but into Christ, conformed into the image of Christ. Um, and then another verse, I don't think it's on your sheet, but from Second Peter 1, 4, another, another verse that kind of can take you back. Um, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. And that's the same idea of us entering into the communion that Jesus has uh, with the Father and um, in worship and in life itself. And then from Second Corinthians 3, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we gaze upon the Lord, that's how we are being transformed from one image of glory to another, right? So the point of that that we can take away is that we become what we love. And this taps in to uh, the uh, aspects of what Brian has been bringing out about uh, who we are as people. We're not primarily thinkers or primarily lovers and desirers. We, we act on a on a gut level. And we can also see this uh, negatively in certain places in the scripture, right? The idea that we become what we love. In Psalm 115, when uh, the, the psalmist is describing the uh, nations who worship idols and ridicule uh, the, the people of God, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands, They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. So he's describing the idols and all of their faults, right? Their shortcomings. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. And here's the the kicker at the end of that. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So that's just illustrating negatively the idea that we become what we love, right? And you can think about Israel and the golden calf. So when Moses comes and finds them worshiping the calf, what does he do with the calf? What does he do? You might know. Yeah, he makes them eat it, right? He makes them drink it. So it's kind of that idea, again, of here's, if you want, you want to love this, then this is going to be who you are. And it's like that the idea of, in Romans of God giving them over to the lust of their flesh, right? If you're going to worship an idol and gain your nourishment from that, you will be forced to gain your nourishment from that and you will become uh, like that. Um, so, what does that have to do with music? How does this all come together? What part does music play in conforming us to the image of Jesus? Um, 
the Holy Spirit, I believe we can look at from Scripture and see that the Holy Spirit uses the pairing of Scripture and music to change us in worship. Now, from this point on, I'm mostly talking about uh, congregational singing. Okay, I'll, I, As I've said, I think that all of music is bound up in the nature of God. But when we talk about change and worship, we're primarily talking about congregational singing. Um, from 2 Timothy 3, this great verse that we all know about uh, the uh, inspiration of Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So there's that word for breath, right? God-inspired, Spirit of God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And then notice, keep that in mind as we look at these two sister passages from Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, First from Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. And then the the sister passage of that uh, from Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In these two sister epistles, we notice that the interchangeability, if I could make up a word, I think, of being filled with the Spirit and the Word of Christ. Okay, so... What's that? Oh, okay. Well, let's, we'll have to all use that word then. <laughs> my, my computer didn't like that word when I typed it, so that's why I'm, I guess that I'm uh, making it up. Um, so notice in those two passages of Ephesians and Colossians, right? The, the, uh, the way that Paul describes uh, addressing one another and the, if, in order to be filled with the Spirit in one way, in the first example... He says to sing. In the second example, he says, in order to be uh, to to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, you sing to one with one another and to one another. Right. So we know that there is a relationship between the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and it all goes back right to God breathing His Word, breathing His Spirit. Um, there, there is a bond there. Calvin said that. There is an indissoluble bond between the word and the spirit. Okay, and this is not new. It makes sense, right? If you want to be filled with the wind of the spirit, you go to the God-breathed word. If you also, but also notice how closely tied the word and the spirit seem to be with singing. It's as if Paul is saying, "Do you want to be filled with the spirit? Sing to one another. Do you want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly?" How does he tell you to accomplish that in both passages? Sing to one another. Do you want to be changed more and more into the image of Christ? Sing to one another. So, I've got this little graphic here. And again, I don't want to overstep the bounds of Scripture, but there seems to be a bond in some way between the the Spirit and the Word of God, which we can see, and then also music. Um, And so in worship, that little area where we... uh, intersect the spirit the word and singing and music together that is that is where we dwell and it makes sense 
from what we've talked about, about how, how people are changed, uh, who we are fundamentally, fundamentally as uh, human beings, um, as, as we uh, tap into uh, the place of our uh, imagination or our desires, right? Uh, another, another quote from Jeremy Begbie. He says, it would seem that music is particularly well suited to being a vehicle of emotional renewal and worship, a potent instrument through which the Holy Spirit can begin to remake and transform us in the likeness of Christ, the one true worshiper. One interesting thing about this quote and uh, the essay that it's from is Jeremy Begbie is making a case that our emotions... I believe the name of this essay is called Faithful Feelings in a book called Resonant Witness. But he's making the case that our emotions are primarily felt in our body. It's not in our mind, but it's, it's a physical uh, reaction, right? Our heart races, we get short of breath, pupils dilate, tears flow. Emotions are felt in the body. And music affects the body, right? It's, it's felt through the ears. When we sing, it's our lungs and our mouth and our hands or our feet, you know, when you're—I remember when you're a child and you're watching a parade. I guess this—I guess this changes when you get older and bigger. But you, when a when a marching man is is marching by, you little kids can just feel it in their chest. You know, that bass drum is just felt. Um, it's a, a music affects our body. Emotions are uh, physical reactions, right? Uh, yes. Perfect illustration of that with children was last Friday night with the Quavies. There were some children in the back, and they were just enjoying the music, running right. around in circles. <laughs> when yeah. the music started, they started. When the music stopped, right. they stopped. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you take a, a six-month-old baby and play some music, and they just start, they automatically start moving. You don't have to teach them to do that. It's a physical reaction. Um, so the philosopher Immanuel Kant said that music is the quickening art. And if that word "quicken" is not just a uh, not just a uh, convenient way to budget your uh, money, but it is uh, <laughs> it, it means life giving or inspiring. So that's what we've been talking about all along, right? God inspires us; He gives us His life, His breath, uh, and music is an aspect of that. Um, so to tap into what uh, we've been saying again. Music is a shortcut to the seat of our imagination or our desires. In those books, when Jamie Smith talks about our imagination, you know, the name of the book is "Imagining the Kingdom." He means that place of our of our desires, the, uh, the our gut level uh, responses. So, music is a shortcut to that place. Uh, it can have uh, effects on us where mere transfer of information cannot reach us. Um, and then there's a couple of ways to illustrate this. There are uh, neurologists have done studies on the brain on music. When there's a book, actually I think it's called The Brain on Music, I've not read it. But you can, they do brain scans of, of musicians or composers or also brain scans of people just as they're listening to music. And then different parts of the brain light up uh, that aren't normally active. Um, people who are actually, I believe, trained in music, they have developed parts of the brain where uh, 
uh, non-musicians uh, don't have that uh, part developed. Um, and we all can probably uh, think of examples of Alzheimer's patients, right? Um, there is a, a documentary that's called Alive Inside. I've not seen it, uh, but I have seen some clips of it online in a trailer. And then there's a story. Uh, if you've not seen this, I really recommend it. Just a little five-minute clip. But it's this, uh, this Alzheimer's patient named Henry. And he's pretty much non-responsive at all. And what they do in this documentary is they take um, iPods and fill it with music from that person's era when they were growing up. So this man was listening. They filled his iPod with um, Cab Calloway music, a kind of a swing band director uh, from the uh, 30s and 40s. And so he, he's listening to the music, and all of a sudden he's, he's animated. It just, he, he starts singing along, he starts moving, and he starts responding. And then also, what's interesting is once he finishes listening to the music, he's also responsive for a period of time afterwards, even when he's just talking. So he normally is non-responsive, but he, he starts talking, uh, having uh, conversations, telling about what kind of music he loved and why he loved it um, after he had been listening for a while. Um, and one, one interesting thing that... Uh, I believe that applies to us as well is that the uh, doctor is talking about Henry and the phrase that he uses is that Henry is restored to himself. And I believe that's a great way of what we've been thinking about, how music and worship, salvation, redemption, all of these things, they restore us to ourselves. but who, who we were meant to be, right? Who we were meant to be in Christ, fellowship, communion with God. Um, and another personal example of this, my grandfather had Alzheimer's, and he probably died about five years ago or six years ago. And he played the piano, and he played the piano by ear, just like I mostly do. And so he, I mean, he sang and played uh, all the time, maybe just a handful of songs. But when I would go to his house, we used to live uh, really close to them when we first got married. When I would go to his house, he would always ask me to play piano. So it was usually Blessed Assurance or Stardust. That was pretty much, pretty much it, one of those. And, uh, and then he started uh, getting Alzheimer's and then, you know, it's long, slow process. But he always remembered the lyrics to hymns, uh, especially Blessed Assurance. And um, one thing that, was, that really struck me, and I'll never forget this, is, you know, so he would always ask me to play piano. And, you know, as, as the, his brain was deteriorating, physically changing, uh, and he was forgetting more and more, forgetting more and more people, uh, I think it even got to a point where he didn't remember uh, my mom, he didn't remember, I am certainly didn't remember most of my family. Um, I walked into his house one day, and you could just tell when he was trying to, it's like he, sh- he knows he should know who it is that's standing in front of him. But he's, he just can't do it. And so he looks at me, and he, just, and he says, you play piano. <laughs> and uh, that, just, that just touched me so much. I mean, it was a part of his brain. That he, he didn't know my name. He, I don't think he remembered my mom's name. But he knew that I played piano. Uh, so music is a, reaches a depth uh, of our brain and of our soul and our imagination that goes deeper than just mere facts. Um, 
Jamie Smith uses the term precognitive uh, a lot. So it's the it's a it's a, our gut level reaction that is uh, we act on before we necessarily think about it, and often it may be irrational. Um, but the, the amazing thing about this, about all of creation, is that God created us to react this way to music, to beauty, right, to life. We have a responsibility to care for and steward the gift of music in all creation in a way that pleases him, that's directed by his word. Um, so, let's look at a couple of practical things. How do we use music to its fullest capacity to conform us to Jesus? Um, we look around us and we can all say that the world knows how to use music, right? The enemy knows how to use music in a negative way. Uh, if I don't know how many of you caught the Grammys a couple of weeks ago. I did as I was waiting for Daft Punk to uh, perform. Um, so I read an article a couple of days after the, the Grammys about how the whole evening was a liturgy of sorts leading up to this mass wedding of couples of all shapes and sizes, you know, inner, uh, uh, same-sex marriage, some not at the end. Uh, but the whole evening was in some ways designed to make us think one way about love. And music was uh, accompanying that, right? So that it was this ecstatic expression of feeling. And at the end, when this mass marriage took place, it all kind of made sense from what they were setting up the whole time. Um, so that is a, a negative example of how to use music right um, it's, it's with great power comes great responsibility you might say um, to quote uh, Slider-Man's uncle um, so 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 the world knows how to use music right in an effective way but the church also knows how to use music um, when you look at the history of music uh, much of it is the history of the church. That's one thing that uh, struck me in college when I took music history. It was basically a church history course because the, the flows of music and Western music is so closely tied to changes in flow of the church, right? And the church knows how to use beauty. It has. Uh, knows how to use uh, art and music to uh, affect us, right? To help us love God more. So we can still do this. Um, but here are a couple of points. And let me, uh, you know, if you have a feedback about anything, please do uh, chime in. Um, we need to see our congregational singing as more than just an arbitrary tradition of the church. It's not just this thing that we do, right? But it is a way that spirit moves us. It is one of the fundamental ways in which we are changed. When we sing the truth of God to one another, it is received in a way deeper than the mere uh, acquisition of information uh, more, more deeply than just uh, facts are spoken, right? So that can affect us in worship, how we sing. Uh, do you want to help your brother? Do you want to encourage one another? Then we should sing as if we are, in fact, doing that. 
Um, <coughs> it's a powerful tool. Next, uh, we can expand our repertoire of emotional expressions in worship. The Psalms can be our guide to help us do this. And we've, we've been trying to uh, expand our worship in some of these ways as well. Imagine this uh, kind of continuum between celebration or rejoicing and lament that we find in the Psalms, right? Well, a lot of times we kind of spend a little bit of time here when we, we should be able to reach out and expand our, uh, our uh, responses and emotions. A lot of times we've, we definitely, as Presbyterians, we, we, we are more able to go towards lament, perhaps, <laughs> than rejoicing, right? But uh, joy is a Christian response, right? And a lot of times we want to think of ourselves as culturally astute, so we don't want to be too excited about something. Um, but that is not a, a faithful Christian response, a biblical response to salvation, uh, being, um, being solemn only. Right? We need to be able to expand in both ways. Latin has overcome is a great example of celebration. Right, right, yeah. And almost, there are songs that are, you know, there's, there's, there's reverence in worship, but there's also celebration and, you know, physically involved celebration uh, that we can uh, learn to expand. I'm not uh, very natural at physically celebrating myself. So it is... Uh, <laughs> It is a stretch for all of us. Right. 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 It's a it's a different. Right. It's uh, very simple and profound truths of who we are. Good example of that was when David was bringing the ark back into the city. Right. That's what she was speaking of. Yeah. When he danced before the Lord, and and then his wife started criticizing. He said, "I'll dance more wild." You see what I'm bringing in here? Right. 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 You haven't seen anything yet. That's what he said. Um. Here's another aspect for us to to keep in mind. Uh, We can realize better that the language of hymns and psalms trains our desires, even when we don't feel them. You hear some people say, um, and I can understand this response, if you go into worship, if if you're not singing it from your heart, then some people might think, I'm not going to sing at all. But then you ask yourself, at what point are you singing it from your whole heart? We'll never sing from our whole hearts here, right? We're always tainted with sin. Our motives are mixed. But if we think of the language of worship, not just in singing, but in prayers and scripture, it's training us. It's giving us a vocabulary (coughs) to use uh, and and changing us. And you think of children who might... uh, not understand a lot of the things that goes on, but the the music and the uh, prayers can still train them. Uh, it's almost the fake it till you make it type aspect, right? <laughs> Which we can sometimes see as dry. Um, you know, if a whole bunch of people are not feeling it, 
then why are they even bothering? Um, that's there's good questions, and there's there's different different responses uh, that are valid, but um, but we can see that these things do train us. There's a way in which doing that when you don't feel like it changes the way you feel. Right. Because I mean, mm-hmm. I've personally experienced that at, at times when you don't feel like singing. If you do, you soon get your attitude. Right. Changed. It's like this circular motion of uh, re- same way relationships are, right? If you don't, if you have somebody or say your spouse who you're not feeling very warm to, well, you don't feel like doing something warm towards them, loving, but if you do those actions, it can help uh, create those kinds of emotions that uh, you may not be feeling at the time. Um, and then next related, we can be uh, a little bit less afraid to let the physical creation of music engage our physical bodies. And clapping, shouting, bowing, kneeling, perhaps even moving. All these m- words that are from the Psalms, right? And it, cultures differ from one to the other, so we're, you don't have to, we don't have to make ourselves do things that's obviously uncomfortable for us. But we can try to expand our uh, physical repertoire, if you will. Um, and then we can also, this is kind of a music snob uh, point here, so forgive me. But we can also seek a deeper understanding of music in order to engage our minds. So, you know, we talked about music being a physical phenomenon that engages our bodies. But it can also, it needs to engage our mind, like Paul says, I was seeing with the spirit and with the understanding, right? So we can, uh, I, think, I believe that the, uh, the people of God, the church, ought to have some, some fundamental knowledge of music in order to better, uh, better understand and execute uh, music and worship. Um, and then we can also learn to appreciate and enter into musical styles other than our own heart language. You know, the term heart language is used um, for like Bible translators like the summer lads are doing, right? When, when you have a, a translation of the Bible and that is not your heart language, you're the language that you grew up in, um, it's not going to reach you in the same way that, than as if it were translated into your language. Music kind of can work in the same way. Um, the world is changing, cultures are colliding, and the world is getting smaller around us, right? Musical styles, I mean, you turn on the radio, a lot of times you, you don't know what how to classify a certain musical style anymore. It's all kind of mixed, right? Um, a lot of that is probably... Um, financially motivated perhaps at times but the, there is a sense in which the world is getting smaller and the cultures are kind of combining and in a way this reflects the the future kingdom of god right that all of the, the tongues tribes and nations will join together as one each offering their own uh, cultural uh, values um so what can we take away from this i think that um, we can just enjoy the gift of music and enjoy the gift of being able to encourage one another in worship with our songs and with singing. Um, So let's commit ourselves to sing strongly and heartily to the Lord and to one another in order to build each other up in the power of the Spirit. Anyone have any questions? an interesting observation that I've made when we've been to museums that have uh, some anthropological uh, 
studies in different areas, I always enjoy going to the Native American areas. And there's frequently some Native American music playing mm -hmm. in those areas. I have always been fascinated by a lot of the Native American music. It is so, it, it's very emotional, it's very quiet usually, mm -hmm. and it's uh, very peaceful and exceedingly beautiful. And I think it is one of those things that reflects the variety of God's creation and some of the beauty that comes out of different uh, cultural aspects. I always just find that area a really mm -hmm. very intriguing area, particularly musically. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Questions, comments? All right. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll go and worship together. Lord, again, we thank you for the gift of music, the gift of being able to use that in the church with one another. As we go into worship this morning, we do pray that your spirit would fill us, that we would uh, be restored uh, to who you would desire us to be, would make us more truly human into the image of Christ, reflecting your glory, uh, responding to you, and loving you more dearly and, and uh, more strongly. And uh, we pray that you be with us. Help us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.